Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Snohomish County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of manifestfit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. Okay, everybody, I believe we are live. Uh, this is Brian Nemhauser, and uh, this is episode 78 of Real Hawk Talk. And uh, this is a special week, everybody, special for a variety of reasons. Uh, not only do the Seahawks, the 7 and 2 Seahawks, play the undefeated 49ers on Monday Night Football, but we have Jeff Simmons back from Toronto. We will have Nathan Ernst here in a bit. And not only do we have Joe Fan, but we have Joe Fan's backdrop this week. This is like, this is legit. This show has arrived. Um, we're bringing out all the stops. Uh, Joe is going to be the guy that not only represents a Seahawks beat writer this year, and for my money, not just because he's on the show, but for my money, the best beat writer on the Seahawks beat this year, um, I think by a decent margin. But he also spent the last few years with the San Francisco 49ers. So a lot to talk about. Um, Josh Gordon, Quentin Jefferson, uh, you know, Robbie Gold might even come up tonight. There's all sorts of things to talk about. So let's welcome in the show, uh, Jeff Simmons. Thanks for having you as always, Jeff, at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. Uh, how's it going, man? Uh, I had a bit of a dilemma this week for my fantasy football, and it kind of applies to this. I just want to hear your guys' take on this. So I have Deshaun Watson as my quarterback. He's on bye week this week. The only good quarterback available is Jimmy Garoppolo. Should I sacrifice my week this week because I don't want to root for him? Or you're do I pick him up? Wrong, you're asking the wrong I, guy. 
I know. I had nothing to do with fantasy football. It's just been like, I, I can't wrap my head around picking up Jimmy G for this week. It's this is me part crazy. of why I stopped playing fantasy football because <laughs> I could not root for guys coming in to play the Seahawks. And I certainly could not. I didn't ever have 49ers on my team, no matter. Okay. How well, that pretty much solves it for me. So Joe, how about you? Are you a fantasy football guy? I am a fantasy football guy, although I will I will honestly say I don't follow it nearly as closely as I used to. When you're kind of working all day Sundays, you kind of keep tabs on who's doing well, but you just don't have the energy to invest into like getting up and down for, you know, winning and losing. It's like you win. Awesome. If not, whatever. It's fun to have with, the you know, I have a group of guys up here that we all had a live draft at our place. It was a lot of fun. Um, you know, so that was cool. You get some friendly uh, rivalry since that's my word of the day, uh, going with some of your friends. Um, it's a good time, but yeah, I wouldn't say I'm as big into it as I was in years past. That for folks who, uh, do not know him, Joe fan from NBC sports Northwest. He is at Joe underscore fan. He's one of those guys that does the underscore. So you, you got to do the shift and then the underscore, you know, it's a little extra work, but he's worth it folks. Um, and that's two ends, Joe underscore F a N N, uh, on Twitter. Definitely a must follow. And uh, it's great to have you back, man. Thanks for thanks for joining the show again. No, thanks for you guys for having me. Uh, I appreciate the kind words for sure. It's been a fun three and a half months. It's been kind of crazy, like we talked about before. It's always a little bit of a challenge being the new guy on the beat, but um, you know, I've really enjoyed kind of integrating into what's going on here and trying to add my flavor and voice to it. And it's been a fun season so far. I mean, seven and two with no shortage of storylines. And uh, I appreciate you inviting me back. Although I'm a little offended, Nathan. Apparently, uh, you know, he doesn't like me very much, so he didn't join the show. I mean, what the heck? Yeah, Nathan is, you know, he's a little bit squirrely. He, I think he's intimidated by you because, uh, you know, uh, you may have actual real information as opposed to just the uh, the data that he hides behind so often. So, you know, it's okay. Know about that. It's okay. He'll come back. Um, All right. You know, it's actually, I've gotten a kick out of listening to the press conferences. And generally, when I hear Pete sound a little bit annoyed by a question, I think often it's coming from you. Am I right yeah. on that Oh, look no, here. totally. Pete, Pete loves like kind of making me feel like an idiot. And then he'll finally answer my question. He usually gives a pretty good response, but I've gotten several really snarky looks and responses from Pete. And what he likes to do is he likes to cut you off before you get there. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think, you know, there are times I get too wordy with my questions, but I think sometimes it's important to have kind of a background to what you're trying to get at in terms of, you know, this is what I'm either thinking or seeing, and this is why I'm asking the question rather than just like, do you think this? Do you see that? Whatever, right? So, um, yeah, there have been several occasions where it's been like, oh, this idiot has another question. It's like, yeah, here I am. I got one more. So <laughs> well, I'm for glad my... you picked up on that because it's. Uh, I feel like he enjoys it for sure, which I don't know how to take that. Yeah, well, I mean, he he got a softy really got under his skin today. I heard that he is asking about um, Chris Carson's carries and uh, Pete was having none of it. But uh I think he even followed up and, and with a question about, you know, whether, you know, injury history and Pete, the first time I've heard him say in a long time, I'm not going to answer that question. Uh, yeah. So you've, you've got a little bit of company, but honestly, I think there's some kind of tried and true questions that come through and he's gotten used to, and you're, answer, you're asking questions that um, are a little bit off the beaten path. And, and as a fan, I, I can tell you, I appreciate it. And the folks that I talk to definitely appreciate it. Um, uh, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus and I won't, but there's definitely some, some opportunities to like learn a lot more about the Seahawks that people are, are not taking advantage of. And so um, really, really appreciate you, you putting that in there. 
on that topic, I'm curious, is there, is there a question that you were really hoping to get an answer to that, that you just didn't, um, that you can remember? Man, now you're putting me on the spot. I wish I would have thought about that one beforehand. Um, man, I think in general, like Pete's go-to is like, you know, you'll ask a question and be like, are you working on things? Are there things that you need to adjust? And it's like, yes, but we're not going to talk about what they are. And it's like, you would like to at least see him open, you know, peel back the curtain just a little bit. So you just have a little bit of like what the thought process is or, um, you know, what they're trying to do to take steps forward rather than just like, we're working on it. That's all we're going to say. Uh, I mean, honestly, what I loved about Kyle Shanahan, I, you know, talking to Matt Mayoko, who's, who's covered the Niners for 25 years, says, Kyle Shanahan is by far the best head coach he's ever worked with. And there's just kind of a transparency to it, um, you know, where you might have a, a question that questions one of his decisions or something that happened in the game. And, and he'll say, this is the decision I made. This is why I made the decision. And, and either I regret the decision or, you know, in the moment you think it's a good decision. Now you have to go back and watch tape and see if it was a good call. And at that point, like, all right, that's interesting. Like, I, I don't know if I agree with you or maybe I do agree with you, but at that point, at least you can say like that thought process, that train of thought makes sense. And so you know, even going back to, you know, on, on Sunday against the Bucks, when I asked him, um, you know, why he threw uh, the challenge flag, knowing, I mean, everyone in the stadium knew that, yes, that, you know, Mike Evans extended the arm, but they're just not going to overturn that. You've seen that. You've seen eight weeks of evidence worth of them not going to overturn that call. And so when he gave me the answer he did of like, I knew it wasn't going to be overturned, but you know, I just kind of proving this point I'm paraphrasing now. And so I kind of felt it like obligation to follow up and be like, well, I mean, is it worth it to, you know, prove a point, you know, when you cost your team a timeout and you all of a sudden you get the ball back in a tie game with under a minute left and just one timeout, like, man, wouldn't it be dope if you had two? And that's not to like get like, you know, try to go at Pete or be confrontational, but I think it's a valid question that like, that's a really questionable decision. And in my opinion, it was um, an inexcusable decision. And, you know, when he's, he gives me back, like, well, we didn't need it. It's like, all right. I mean, I guess it's, I guess you can add some snark when you win the game, but man, you lose that coin toss and Jameis Winston throws a touchdown on the first drive of overtime. And all of a sudden that decision looms so much bigger. So um, yeah, I, he's an interesting guy. I'm still trying to figure out my, my best way to go about it, but I, I do think I, you know, I try to not ask questions just for the sake of hearing my, my voice, but I, you know, at least it's has something like where, I don't know, I might be curious about it and other people might be as well. Yeah, it's it's uh, as as Nathan Ernst uh, at Nathan E Eleven joins the show. Welcome, Nathan. Hi. Um, it it reminds me. I mean, we spent a lot of time on this show this season, having a lot of discussion about some really odd decisions that Pete's made this year. Like he's always made some odd game management decisions um, over his career, but it seems to be amplified this year. Um, either he's doing it more often or just seems to be standing out more um in these games and you know whether it's the fourth down decisions are probably the ones that have been the the most scrutinized but you know i think there was what was it recently he was saying that he was trying to get uh michael dixon to step out of the end zone and take a safety when they were up by five it was like some crazy like what are you talking about decisions and so what am i i'm not going to put you in an odd spot there that you have to, to to talk about that but i guess I'm curious, you have to toe a line, right? Talk to us a little bit about journalistic integrity of like, you're trying to do your job to actually, you know, tell the story about what's going on and provide some, you know, more than superficial analysis, I guess, of, of how that's going. 
at the same time, you've got to balance that with access and, and the team's PR department and, and whether they're going to, you know, give you what you need to do your job. How do you, yeah, how do I you think approach me, that balance? Yeah. I think for me, I always try to be fair. Right. And like, I'll ask for an explanation. And if I don't get the explanation I like, I'm not going to come back at him. Right. Like I'm not going to try to play this game of like, I'm right and you're wrong. But I do think like when there are instances um, again, going back to last Sunday, man, the, you know, the, the two point or the taking the safety is a great one you're talking about. I, I think when the, when there's something that doesn't make sense, it's, a, it's fair to ask about it, especially when it ends up, you know, being a difference in the game and it, it becomes a pivotal point, you know, in every game is so important, right? They preach that every game is a championship opportunity. So how are you throwing away a timeout and what is in your mind, a championship opportunity, just to prove a point. So, um, you know, and I think what's been really troublesome, you know, I think, for me and Seahawks fans and other people who are trying to understand what's going on is that a lot of the explanations don't make sense. So there's no like substance behind them. And Pete Carroll kind of went on. It's like, well, the good thing is that, you know, they're not overturning these challenge calls, you know, there's these defensive or offensive pass interference calls, but you know, it's showing they're letting the guys play. It's like, well, you look at the numbers and pass interference is really stagnant year over year. So just because they're not overturning the calls doesn't mean there's less pass interference calls altogether. So um, yeah, my, my biggest thing, like you said, I, you want to keep good relationships, but I think it's fair to ask tough questions as long as they are fair. And I try not to get accusatory or put myself on a pedestal of like, I know more than you. Cause I don't, not even close at all. I mean, right. And you know, Pete Carroll's got a PhD in building locker room chemistry and culture. I mean, does it better buddy, in the entire NFL, but, um, yeah, I mean, these definitely made some hedge decisions that uh, are worth asking. What were you thinking on that one? Nathan, I'm curious uh, if you have uh, a, a couple of questions along those lines. Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe, uh, well, maybe not exactly along those lines. And I, this might have already been asked, but uh, uh, do you and like the other folks in the press conferences coordinate before you go in? Like when you have cer certain things that you know he might be a little evasive on and that way you don't have to like slam him with a bunch of follow-up questions that, that each kind of person can kind of pick at it? No, you don't. Um, there's one, this is not really time. I guess during the week you probably could, but I, I, at least it doesn't happen. It hasn't happened. No one's approached me about it. And I don't want to be like the new guy trying to start that trend of like, what are you going to ask? What are you going to ask? And, you know, so I go in with kind of this checklist of like, these are the things I hope get covered. And, um, you know, I, I don't normally try to ask the first question. So I just kind of check things off my list as people ask them. Um, and if there's anything left over, then you know, I'll make sure I'll ask. But a, a great example of that is the, the mysterious putting Tedrick Thompson on IR. Um, what was it two weeks ago? Um, and it's like, what? Well, that doesn't really make sense. Cause you came out of, what was it? The Ravens game saying, well, there are any other injuries. And then, oh no, it was a Falcons game coming out of the Falcons game saying, well, there, were there any other injuries? And then, you know, on Monday and Pete's like, nope, came out clean. And all of a sudden he goes to IR. So, you know, Greg asked about it initially and was like, well, this seems weird. And, you know, he, so he goes on and explains he's been dealing with a shoulder injury for like a year, which, I don't know. It seems to me kind of crazy. Like Russell Wilson has like a sore knee that like he put a bag of ice on one time and he's got to be on the injury report. But like, so I followed up. I was like, was that not something you have to put on the injury report? And he got evasive about it. He didn't look me in the eye and kind of like squabbled his way through it and then moved on. You could tell like that wasn't something he really wanted. On. And again, I think going back to your point, Brian, like that's where I was like, is it worth it? Like, is this really a hill I want to die on? Probably not. But like, you look back and like, that was weird. Like, so it is nice. There are times where like when Greg came to me afterwards, like, dude, thanks for coming in because I don't want to be the guy asking follow up after follow up on this like really random, bizarre uh, Tedrick Thompson to IR and, you know, news. So 
Um, it is nice when you have some backup for sure. It's not just you. And I feel like there's been a couple times this year where I've been in this guy on the island, you know, getting, like you mentioned, the, uh, the weird looks or uh, snarky responses from Pete. And that's okay. I'm okay with that. I mean, Pete, Pete is out now lied, you know, before last year you weren't around for, for this, but I mean, week two of the season in Chicago, Chris Carson, for whatever reason, didn't play a snap in the second half. Like it's hard for you probably to even believe that now. Yeah. They put Rashad Penny out there. And at the end of the game, he said, um, Oh yeah, he was gassed. You know, he, he was playing on special teams, you know, and he just couldn't, couldn't go. Then I think it was Bob Condota said like, yeah, he had two snaps. He wasn't gassed. And Pete changed his story completely the next day. Like, I mean, he will say he clearly, you know, as much as I think he, he, I think he is one of the more forthcoming, you know, report, uh, coaches in the league, you know, compared to like a Belichick or something like that. Um, you can get something out of him to, to, to write a story, but he clearly tries to shape it. And, um, you know, the, the, some of the fourth down calls this year have been crazy. The, the Tedrick Thompson thing, a yeah. lot of things don't add up, but here we are seven and two, right? Um, a team that, that, you know, uh, basically has, if not the best offense, one of the couple best offenses in the NFL, you've got the odds on MVP, um, and Russell Wilson, 22 touchdowns, one interception through nine games. Nobody's ever done that before. Um, and you've got one of the worst defenses in the NFL and one of the worst special teams units in the NFL. Uh, it's it's a really odd feeling to be a Seahawks fan right now. <laughs> and the fan base is all over the place because of it. So, um, Jeff, you know, as we kind of head into this week, um, I wanted to start out with Joe, we do a segment called What I Got Wrong. Okay. And, uh, you know, we'll leave you to go last on this one. But, okay. um, Jeff, you know, we've been wanting to, to do this for a while. You know, nine games into the season. Um, you know, what is something that you got wrong and, uh, and, and tell us, tell us when you realized it. Um, yeah, I, I thought you were going to ask about the Tampa game to start. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit, but I think I talked about this a little last week before I kind of had to get cut off, but I just think the front seven was just an area that I misevaluated. And I thought I saw you mention this on Twitter, I think yesterday or today. And it was a great point. And I thought about that a lot in the last couple of days when I was kind of evaluating the defense is just why isn't the front seven better? And you look back and it's, we should have noticed this. It's just years of personnel and drafting mistakes, just biting them. Like Brian, you talked about how many times I'm not drafting two corners in that 2017 draft the same year they actually let Sherman go. And now all of a sudden you pull flowers from one game and Akeem King is playing every snap and, Flowers just having to go up against Mike Evans and all these things. These are just years of mistakes, not having a drafted Harold Landry one year. So just looking at the team and thinking, oh, they have these big names like Ziggy Ansa and KJ Wright and Bobby Wagner. And just assuming that this front seven would be great. I got that wrong. They, the front four, especially, but the front seven looks pretty bad from all accounts. They're getting some pass rush out of their blitzes lately, but they're just not a unit that really does anything that well right now. And, that's an area we thought would be the strength of the defense and maybe the strength of the team outside of Russell. Well, I'll give you some credit, Jeff. You did have them at six and three in your uh, predictions at this point in the year. Heading over to you, Nathan, you had them at, <laughs> at four and four. 
you know, coming to the year. And some people could argue that they've played to the level of a four and four team. So, uh, but tell us, you know, what, what do you think you got wrong? And, and, you know, you may have one, uh, I'll give you two if you want to go, but I do want to know. Do you have all my all the things that I want to know about? as many things you got wrong as possible because that's what makes me happy. You just like, got a list over there. I can, you yeah. can just read your list if you want. I want I want to know what do you think has gone better that's allowed them to be um, seven and two instead of you know four and well four and five and four is what you had them at five and yeah. Four. Uh, I mean, it I, it feels. I feel kind of like a dick saying it, but like, I think they've just kind of gotten lucky a little bit. Um, I mean, you know, it, their point differential, I, I don't think is, uh, I haven't checked on it. I, I think it's still far lower than a seven and two team. Right. So they're overperforming in some ways. Um, I mean, I did have them end up going 11 and five. So it's not like I thought this would be a bad team, but yeah, seven and two has definitely been surprised. Um, the one I was actually going to go with for myself though, I was going to kind of go way back uh, and officially, uh, state that I was wrong about Will Disley. Um, I, I didn't have a unique take on Will Disley. I thought he was a blocking tight end that they overdrafted, and he has turned out to be oh. uh, obviously so much more than that. Um, it's sad that he can't stay healthy, uh, but when he's on the field, he's extremely good and extremely good in ways that we did not expect him to be extremely good. So, uh, yeah, I miss Will, Will Disley. Yeah, I thought you were going to go with DK. I wasn't wrong about DK. <laughs> Joe, there's some real revisionist history going I on. I wasn't wrong about DK. What was <laughs> I would love for anyone to show me the receipts on DK. <laughs> All right. I'm going to have to go back and uh, ask our snap production crew, our crack production crew, <laughs> to get some of those clips. I know they exist. Uh, you know, <laughs> I certainly could say I was wrong about DK. No, I'm going to be buying nachos for our, and drinks for all you guys uh, later in the year. Uh, what you don't know, Joe, is every time we go to Matador, I buy the nachos anyway. So this was a win-win for me. This is just a matter of maybe I could save some money, but I'm excited. Um, you know, uh, I'm going to cheat and say one thing that I got right. <laughs> you, you can do that? I get to do that. <laughs> the thing that you uh, got wrong was how to play this game. Yeah. <laughs> Is um, uh, the Seahawks passing more often. I got, I, I, I'm going to even go too deep on this because I'm, I'm so egotistical today for some reason. But one was, was uh, that they were going to pass more often. You guys gave me a lot of crap for that last season. And uh, two, um, compared to last season. And two, that the 49ers are going to be good this year. You guys gave me a lot of crap about that, too. That's so, not how you play this game, bro. Yeah, I just want to – Yeah, just, that's, I had that's to, really twisted. I, I had to come back to that. So, no, I mean, as far as what I got wrong, um, man, I thought this front four. I mean, that that I thought this front four was going to be good. And I and I thought – I mean, you talk about the front seven, <laughs> Jeff, but I, I talk about them each separately. I thought the linebackers were going to be good, and I thought the front four were going to be good. And – neither one of them are um so you know in fact you i think you can make a case that the front seven is one of the probably bottom third at least if not you know bottom fifth of the league in terms of of you know whether you're defending the run or you're rushing the passer it's it's been really bad um so did not see that coming did not think that that was going to be the reason that the x were going to be as bad on defense as they've been um, I could add to that. I thought Michael Dixon was going to be the same level as he was last year. 
he hasn't been. So those are trying to even up on some of the things I got wrong. He's starting to come around now. He is. He has had a couple better games, um, but it has been a rough start to the year for, for what's been a really bad special teams. Um, Joe, how about you? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I think you owe us one more wrong thing. You gave us oh, two no, rights I, and two wrongs. I so go, we got to all night on wrong things too. Um, another thing I got wrong was I thought David Moore would uh, be a little bit more productive once he got in the lineup. Um, I, you know, I, I still believe that David Moore, like every time he gets the ball in what seems like very simple situations, swing passes, you know, quick passes, he's dynamic. He turns those into big gains and I feel like they haven't taken advantage of it. I also though have to say that when they have tried to go to him, he has not created separation downfield the way he did last year. He's not, he's not made the big plays that he did last year. So I'll, I'll add that in that. Does that satisfy the crew? I'll take a it. little more. Okay. I was also right about Jacob Hollister. Sorry. Oh, okay. Here we go. <laughs> all right, Joe. How about you? Man, I I won't I won't go the narcissist route and say all the things I got right. Uh, <laughs> but the nachos are gonna taste good because I I pegged that one for sure. Uh, I, I honestly I gotta pick you back where you guys are at. I overreacted tremendously to the Javian Clowney trade, and I think. Part of the reason why we all did that, and me specifically, was because it was such a heist. And it still was a heist in terms of what they gave up. But um, it's just kind of funny how quickly we let the pendulum swing before anything happened. Because when I got back to Seattle, everyone was panicking about the defense, the pass rush. And then, like, my third day up here, Jaron Reed got suspended before even the first day of camp. And so you're looking at, like, all right, Jaron Reed's out. You have no idea what you're going to get out of Ziggy Ansah. Then you have Cassius Marsh. Like, those are your pass rushers. And, like, that's a nightmare. I just got to watching Cassius Marsh for a couple of seasons in San Francisco. And, like, good, nice rotational player, not number one pass rusher. Um, and so all of a sudden, like, this clowny trade happens. And you think, like, oh, my gosh, he's got one of the best pass rush- rush- rushers in the league. Uh, you let go of Marsh. You don't have to worry about him now. Like, you know, Ziggy's going to give you something. So, like, that's good. And then Jared Reed's going to come back. And all of a sudden, like, you put the linebackers in and, you know, I was completely on the board with this is one of those front sevens in the entire NFL. And like you said, Brian, they're not even close. I mean, they're not stopping the road. Like what I, this is my favorite quote. I'm talking about great Pete Carroll quotes. I'm talking about the defense. And he's going on this kind of diatribe about like what went wrong. And like, but there's one little quote in there that I, I picked out. And it's like, we just didn't pressure him. We didn't cover well. And it's like, well, <laughs> that's kind of all of it at that point. Right. And then you throw in a run defense that's given up 4.7 yards per carry. And like comprehensively, they haven't been good, which is why they're ranked 27th in DVOA. Um, and so, yeah, I completely swung and missed and way over-exaggerated and overreacted to uh, the Seahawks acquiring Clowney because right now, I mean, teams are doubling him without any consequence. Jaron Reed, still, you know, either last year was an aberration or he's still uh, shaking off some of the rust from that six-game suspension. But, I mean, he hasn't even had really any near misses than Ziggy. To me, I don't – I try not to be super harsh on individuals and make it more about the team, but, like, He's been a zero at this point from a pass rush standpoint. I mean, he's got one sack and it was garbage time last play of the game against the Cardinals. Doesn't feel like he's had a ton of near misses where you're like, oh, there he was. He's flashing again, right? It's like, oh, like my great example was when uh, the Falcons game, when he recovered that fumble before halftime. Again, ultimately a zero play unless you truly think they were going to have a Hail Mary right there before the, at 40 end of the half. It's like, oh, Ziggy's on the field. There he is. Okay. I mean, like, I just don't notice him. And so, you know, Pete saying today when I asked him about Ziggy, you know, he he still is like 10 pounds plus off of what he needs to be. And it's like, well, that's alarming in week 10. 
Like that's not going to happen during the season. You don't gain weight during the season, right? I mean, that's why steroids in baseball were so big is because you have no time to maintain your strength through the season. You don't build strength. The season goes on. It's just not how sports work. And so uh, it wasn't super like, Oh, okay. He's just about to turn the corner. To me, it was like, this is a lost year for him. And you know, he probably won't be finding himself next year in Seattle. Yeah. Well, let me give you one tip there, Joe, if I can. Um, when Pete Carroll starts talking about players' weight, don't believe a word he's saying. Okay. I mean, he told us last year about Rashad Penny's weight at like told us ten different weights. And no, he was right about Penny's weight. He <laughs> said <laughs> like, he said Penny was like two thirty five, and then and then at the end of the year, Penny was like, yeah, I lost I lost fifteen pounds or something like that. That that was true. I don't know. He was all over the place on that. He's he. He has a See, thing. See, Twitter got in trouble for fat shaming, but he, Penny was legit <laughs> overweight. Well, that's when it was Rashad Quarter, is, is what oh I think gosh. it was named. <laughs> oh, no. But, um, yeah, it, it's it's been interesting. And, you know, I'd say, well, they have 10, 11, 12 sacks, whatever it is. And you can look at those sacks, and at least a third of them are garbage time sacks, like end of halves, you know, like they're not good sacks. Like you can probably count on one hand the amount of, impactful sacks the Seahawks have had through nine games. I mean, that's not one team sack thrown in there. Like the defensive line has nine collectively through nine games. It's bad. It's really bad. Um, I mean, even the sack they got last week from Michael Kendricks, uh, you know, he, I don't think he even really hit him or like, he was just kind of pushed a guy back into it. Like it was, it's been bad. Um, oh no. The ball just flew up in the air on that play. I couldn't quite tell. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's, since we didn't get a chance to talk about Tampa Bay, let's spend a little bit of time on that. I want to spend the bulk of the time looking ahead to the 49ers, but that was a, that was the game that we all expected on this show, at least, which was if the, if the, the bucks were going to score points on this defense, I think we all said that we were all concerned about the game. And the biggest question we had going into that game was, Will Brian Schottenheimer actually put a game plan together that makes sense against this defense, a defense that was number one in the league in, in defending the run and was not good at defending the pass. Would he be willing to actually lean into the pass? And what did they do? You know, uh, four out of the first five plays on the touchdown drive to open pass plays throughout the first half pass plays. Um, first and set early downs, um, you know, neutral script kind of situations, significant. I think it was 38 to 22 for the, for the full game, something like that pass to run. So if they hadn't done that, no way they win that game. No way. Um, so that was, that was really my big takeaway was all right. This team is at least capable of making that decision ahead of time, not after this. They've fallen behind by a bunch in the second half. And you have now not just one great receiver in Tyler Lockett, but DK Metcalf really started to become dominant. I mean, he had over 100 yards receiving in the third and in the fourth quarter and overtime, just the fourth quarter and overtime. He had 100 yards receiving. So um, those are my my big takeaways. I'm curious. Uh, we'll start with you, Joe. Um, any any big takeaways you had from that game? Yeah, I, mean, I think we've talked about the defense enough and to know that that was just a, a pitiful game across the board. And um, I, I get I like a small annoyance at, you know, Ken Norton, this press conference days, like, what do you take away from that game? It's like, well, we won. You always take a win. It's like, I mean, come on, you just, 
give us a little something of like what alarmed you, what you thought from that game. That's like a little bit more critical of your guys. Like, right. No one's going to come at you and be like, you guys were terrible and like tell us all the things of why you were terrible. But it's like, let's go a little bit deeper than like, well, you try to get wins in this league and we got enough done to get the win. And it's like, well, you, you didn't, you know what I mean? Like you, so what I, what I am most impressed with is not just how good the offense was, but how good the offense was and Russ in particular, but even, you know, with Tyler Lockett, Jacob Hollister, DK Metcalf in those clutch moments. I mean, how often do you see a team have three separate game winning drives or what should have been game winning drives? And you have the three play 75 yard drive that ended up in the DK Metcalf touchdown, which I think Brian Schottenheimer deserves a ton of credit for because that play was so well designed with the coverage flowing towards Tyler Lockett. All you had to do is have DK beat his man a deep cross. Like, you'll take those odds every single time and he catches the ball and he's going to run away from anybody. Um, and then you have, you know, so you're like, okay, that should have been the game. touchdown. Obviously the bucks go down and score. Then you have uh, the play, you know, the drive less than a minute, they get into not just a, a makeable field goal, but I would say a short field goal. 40 yards is short NFL standards and Jason Myers misses. Then you not only get the ball to start or to start overtime, then drive down and score a touchdown, walk off your defense, never has to go back on the field. It's like, to me, I get it. The Bucks defense is terrible and you did what you're supposed to, but at the same time, like the game's in line, it's hard to execute and have that level of focus on three straight drives. And that's what they accomplished. And I mean, you mentioned DK was huge. That catch on, I think it was the third down, right? When he got his face mask held, he makes it the back shoulder grab on the sideline, you know, his catch of the year for sure. Um, so to me, it's just like, I, every time you think like Russell Wilson is here, like he just finds ways to elevate his game and, um, you know, I, I think we all saw, and I, I got crushed for this on social media when you know that, you know, Aaron Rodgers, after, you know, carving up a, a bad Raiders defense for five touchdowns, was going to be back in the MVP conversation. I mean, we should be celebrating Russ's five you know, touchdowns as well on an equal uh, level because he was just absolutely tremendous, especially given how much he's carrying a bad defense right now. Nathan? Where where did you come out on that game? What what was what was your takeaway? Uh, I, I mean I I loved it. It was an awesome game. It wasn't like uh, that Texans game a few years ago, or it wasn't like a, a uh, an all timer. But uh, I mean, it's it's fun to watch Russ go out and throw five touchdowns and see DK and Tyler run up and down, and Mike Evans is fun too. So I mean it was a it was a really enjoyable game. Um, I mean, kind of the same thing with the Falcons game, right? Uh, I, I don't think this is something that anyone should be surprised by. The defense is terrible, and we've known that for a while now. So um, for me, it was one that was easy to kind of just enjoy. Um, I think I'm starting to get stressed about the MVP talk for Russell Wilson. It's very real. Uh, I want it very badly. Uh, so all of these games now are very tense for me in like a whole nother way. Uh, I, I think this Niners game is going to be huge for that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know that there were any real huge takeaways other than what we've known all along. Russ, really good. Defense, really bad. Uh, well, I wonder if the team, if the coaches are less willing to answer some of these questions, because like, what is Ken Norton supposed to say? Like, I don't have very much talent. Like John Schneider didn't give me a nickel cornerback, right? Like, uh, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> no, no. I, <laughs> I feel like there's a, you can make an argument like based on how Dan Quinn and, uh, uh, Gus Bradley's career went post Seattle that Ken Norton, 
I don't think Ken Norton is out of the discussion for best defensive coordinator under Pete Carroll. Oh, come on. I think it's just a matter of talent. What is what is Dan Quinn going to do with his defense? What is he doing with his defense in Atlanta? Uh, yeah, that's that's a that's a a hole I'm not going to climb into. But <laughs> I, I will just say I, I strongly disagree with that, and I don't think Ken Norton's shown anything anywhere. Um, and yeah, uh, Gus Bradley and Dan Quinn have had some pretty good defenses uh, on their own. So, but but uh, Jeff, what what were your takeaways uh, from that? <clears throat> Well, you guys hit on all my positive ones, so those were the ones I would have had written down. I thought the Schottenheimer thing, we talked so much about that Tampa game and the Dallas game last year. I thought from the offensive coaching staff, that was definitely the most encouraging game maybe they've had since they've been with Pete. And I think the fact that it wasn't just a game script thing, as you said it, Brian, the first drive of the game, they're down 7 nothing. They come out four or five passes, play action on third and one to throw to Luke Wilson. That was really encouraging. And then when the game got close, they still kept going passing. Shoddy's been really good once since he's been here. I know Matty Brown on Twitter talks about this a lot about like play design, but I thought that was his best mix of like play calling and play design. Some of the plays he designs are really good. So when Bevel was here, Bevel was a decent play caller. But if you remember, like all the criticism about the offense was how simplistic it was and all that, you don't hear that anymore about the Seahawks. They're they're kind of unique. Their formations are interesting. Daniel Jeremiah came out this week and even talked about how much fun. Seattle offenses to study. And that's so different than what you hear. You used to hear like Greg Cosell say about how boring and plain they were. So that was a big takeaway. Uh, Joe hit the Russ one. I think I was talking about this a little on Twitter after the game and people kind of misunderstood my point. I kind of like got into this Dak Prescott thing, but like just watching Russ right now is just, there's greatness right now. Just like, you don't, I don't need any like numbers to show this. This guy is carrying a whole franchise because their defense is just terrible. It's not a shot at Dak by any means. It just like I've been following in my city, Toronto sports, my whole life. And this last year, Kawhi Leonard comes in. So that's something that I've never seen before. Just carry a team to a championship. Watching Russ right now just kind of reminds me of watching Kawhi. Just watching one of those top of the line NBA superstars that football, it's more of a team game. You kind of need that. But watching Russ right now, just carry a team reminds me of watching Kawhi. And I never thought I'd say that for any Seahawk, really. Okay. So those are the two positive ones. DK is obviously a big one. The negative ones are a couple. I thought Tedrick going out would make a bigger difference. <laughs> and, and now a new enemy sort of emerged for me on defense, Jamar Taylor, who might be the worst nickel cornerback in the NFL. Just mm-hmm. watching him try to like blitz off the edge and getting close and not being able to wrap up at like any point this season. And then trying to have him cover Mike Evans, who I would love to have Evan on this week. I know Nathan was giving him some shit about that, but man, that was a bad take by Evan last week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mike Evans is awesome. Uh, yeah, so watching Jamar Taylor play was rough. And I guess none of us hit on this. Jason Myers is Blair Walsh. Like, he, I legitimately think that Sebastian Janikowski was better last year. Yeah, Jason Myers, you, we talk okay. about this every time he kicks. This is the biggest win for Nathan and Brian Analytics Twitter. I wasn't a pro Jason Myers. I was just waiting to see. But, man, watching Jason Myers is like watching a, like a putter – and golf that like can't do anything under pressure like and i was kind of annoyed by pete like he's clearly buying into like this guy who can hit nice kicks in practice and he probably has a good leg and then he comes out he's like oh he makes all the kicks in practice but in the game he's missed every big kick he's had this year though the ravens won the rams won last game he sucks it's just it's like if you ever watch an nba player warm up in practice they drill every shot and then once someone gets an arm on them in the game like a 
bad shooter will choke. That's what watching Myers is like. It's bad. Yeah. yeah I, think I, I, I think I agree with you. And I think what's, what's weird is like, you look at the shots that he made or the kick, the kicks that he made. And like, even like those short field goals, the extra points, like those were bleeding. Right. And like yeah. almost tried this squeak wide. And so, you know, I think also, I agree. I get one that like, Pete's going to give the guy a vote of confidence. So you just signed the guy to a four-year deal. There's not an all-pro kicker waiting in free agency for you to sign him. So, like, I get that part of it, but I completely agree with you. And I had this exact thought of, like, who cares what he's making in practice? Like, if there's any position where you need a guy to be clutching games, it's that one. And so, um, you know, your point about shooters and, you know, pregame is, is perfect. Putting is perfect. You know, it's about a guy in batting practice. I remember uh, – one time I heard Ken Griffey Jr. say, Willie Mopena, they called him five o'clock or whatever. Cause like once the lights went on, like he couldn't do anything, but man, he goes out for batting practice, dudes hitting 450 foot bombs, all, you know, all batting practice long. And like, that's a great analogy because like, who cares if he's making all his kicks in, in practice? Like, you know, when, when the wins are on the line, the stakes are high, like those aren't confident kicks. He's not making a ball right down the middle. And so I agree with you. That's, it's very alarming, and I don't think the Seahawks have any other option, and so they just got to hope it gets better. I asked him, I was like, is, is, is it mental or mechanical? Because you hope it's mechanical and he can fix something. Because if it's mental, and, you know, you like, I compared to, like, a closer getting the yips, like, that deteriorates really quickly. So who knows? But I, I agree with you. That's a huge cause for concern. So let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit and talk, start start talking about some changes. Uh, speaking of uh, Nickelbacks and and some of the things happening there, not the band, but um, we've got Josh Josh Gordon's uh, added to the roster. Um, we've got Quandre Diggs that looks like he's going. You know, all signs are pointing that he's going to play this week, uh, and we've got Ed Dixon looking like he's going to get added to the roster. Um, so. Let's start with uh, let's start with Quandre Diggs, um, knowing that that uh, we were just talking about how bad the nickel corner spot is. Got Marquise Blair, who has continued to play pretty well. Um, I think there's some reason if, if you listen, you know, and I know, Joe, you've been in those press conferences. Every time Pete Carroll is asked about Marquise Blair, no matter how well he's played, he says something positive and always something measured. Always. He always talks about he got through the game. He talks about, you know, you know, he's still got some stuff to correct. He's not generally like that with a lot of players. Usually he's almost all positive. So there's part of me that's wondering whether we're going to see Quandre Diggs and Bradley McDougald at safety and Marquise Blair on the bench. Um, coming into this game and that might sound crazy um, and I certainly be very frustrated but uh, Nathan you know what's your read on how Quandre Diggs will be used um, with him coming back likely this week uh, I mean I, I don't have a read on it right without seeing him um, I think the hope is that he is a nickel um, I think I think we talked about this before they traded for him um, or maybe it was right after, but I, I think that it, that would be ideal, right? Because it means that they have confidence in Blair. Um, so, you know, they feel good about having McDougald and Blair back there. And then Diggs, you know, Jeff talked about Jamar Taylor. Uh, if you replace that, you know, you're, you're replacing Tedrick, you're replacing uh, Jamar Taylor. 
um, with a couple players that are pretty promising. And so I think that is ideal. Um, I, I th- the, the team has been weird about Blair for a while. Um, even, you know, we talked about this uh, early on that, you know, even McDougald commented that he didn't know the playbook very well. That was really early. That was OTAs, but that was, it was still odd to hear a player say that about another player. Um, and Blair has taken his time working his way into the starting lineup. So I, I don't know if they're confident in him as a starter. And, and you know, you're still looking at an upgrade there over a team that was rolling out Thompson for, you know, several weeks. So that's okay, too. But I think what you should be hoping for is that, you know, he's he's in the nickel spot. Jeff, what are you expecting to see from Quandre Diggs, assuming he plays this week? Um, it's hard to it's hard to really put your finger on because you haven't really seen him at all. But ideally, I'm hoping that he's the nickel, and then you upgrade another spot. I've mentioned Taylor. I don't think Taylor can play at the NFL. I think he's a guy that probably should be playing on like a Miami, Cincinnati, not on a playoff team. Um, yeah, I get the same read as you, Brian. Every time. Pete talks about Blair. He's extremely, and it seems like it's it's a strategy. Maybe he's getting too cocky. Maybe he's not following the plays. I don't know. But if you look at the PFF grades and you watch Blair in the Atlanta game, for example, he's one of the few players who's making plays. Like in that Atlanta game, I thought he was the, well, that was one of the, my big takeaways from that game. And he, he looked great. And this week they used him more of a deep safety. He got a good PFF grade, but I thought that took away from his best strength, which is making plays around the ball. And, he didn't really get to make his hits and he's more of a strong safety in my opinion than a free safety. They seem to like him at free safety. And I don't know what Bradley McDougal has left. He, his body just looks beaten up. He's not making impact plays at all. I don't know if you guys have the same read. So ideally I'd like to see Diggs more kind of rotate with McDougal, maybe rotate with McDougal than base and then play nickel in, in nickel defense and play in the nickel corner because they don't have a nickel corner on their roster. Hopefully Diggs can do it. That gets their best players on the field and gets them out of their base defense, which has been bad in zone coverage. If it's bad on rundowns. So to me, that solves a few of their issues at once, but I get the feeling the same thing as you. I don't know about this player thing, man. Yeah, Joe, um, you know, I'm not going to put you any, in a challenging spot here, but I mean, I think part of my hope has been that Quandre Diggs could come in. He has background playing nickel as well as safety. Obviously he's played better at safety over his career, but Seahawks could use help in multiple places. And in some ways, do you think that if, if all things were ideal, you know, the Seahawks got what they want and, and players were playing in the positions where they're helping the team the most. Do you think that Quandre Diggs helps this team the most at safety or at nickel and, you know, Marquise Blair and Bradley McDougal are in the safety spots. I think it's more at nickel in my opinion, because I think you just have to be able to, you can't let teams, I'm all for getting your best 11 players in the field, right? I get that. The saying in base, you know, teams are able to take advantage of that matchup wise and they have for, you know, nine games now. And so um, I get the, the concern with how Pete talks about Blair, but at the same time, like that's how every coach Pete included talks about every rookie except for DK Metcalf. I mean, that's what I said going into the season of like, I can't believe how high everyone across the board is on this guy. And not that they're just high on him, but like willing to speak on it. And so that was like, to me, felt like the outlier to me. What he's saying about Blair is like, yeah, he was good. 
did some good things, did some bad things. And like, that's how they're going to approach a rookie because you don't want him feeling like he's got it all figured out and is now, you know, the man, um, you know, so that doesn't alarm me. I don't think he's going anywhere. Pete has said multiple times that he deserves to be playing. He's going to be playing. He's going to be in there. So I don't anticipate him being taken out of the lineup at this point. Um, you know, because what does that do for a guy's confidence, especially if you feel like he's starting to make some plays and, um, you know, you look at some metrics again, you pointed out PFF where he's getting good grades there. And so, yeah, he's having some miscues, but like, it's not like he's been the weak link in the secondary. You know what I mean? Like it's not his fault that Shaq Griffin's getting beat by Mike Evans on a down to down basis. And that's not necessarily a, sh- a shot at Shaq because Mike Evans is one of the best receivers in the NFL. It's just saying to put it all in a rookie wouldn't make sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you got to find a way to get digs in there. Um, I don't know if it's you know, replacing one of the safeties on early downs and moving to nickel. To me, it's just using your nickel more. And I don't think they want him playing every snap right now. I mean, it's first game, still learning the scheme, um, you know, still, you know, that hamstring might not be a hundred percent. So let's get him 25 snaps at nickel and then see what he can do. That to me makes the most sense. Cause I just don't anticipate him being an, an every down player in his debut. So, um, Let's let's shift then and talk for a second about uh, Josh Gordon. I mean, big name, big history, uh, been on some big teams. Uh, what do you guys think? What are you guys expecting? Uh, you know, Pete initially started really hesitant and like setting low expectations about Josh isn't going to be handed anything. Today he sounded a lot more like, yeah, as long as he kind of does well in practice that he hopes he's going to play. So – what are you guys expecting? What are you hoping for? Um, you know, Joe, we can start with you on that. Yeah, to me, I think, you know, the Seahawks have been in need of an extra pass catcher since Will Disley went down. And, you know, obviously, if Jake Hollister is showing up now on a weekly basis, that's huge, right? If DK Metcalf is what he showed against the Bucks, going to be a weekly thing. I still, I'm not sold on that yet, him being a consistent guy to that degree. And so, you know, you need somebody. Jerome Brown, David Moore haven't been consistent enough. Can Malik Turner is what Malik Turner is. And so, you know, I looked at it. And you don't want to take away from DK Metcalf's role, but, you know, there are 64 snaps between David Moore, Jerome Brown, um, and Malik Turner against the Bucks. So there's no reason why Josh Gordon can't have 25 or 30 of those. And, you know, you give him four or five targets and see what happens. And so, to me, I love the move. I wrote about it before it happened. wrote about it after it happened. I still – I feel like I'm missing something why the Seahawks are the only team that claimed him because it's a no-risk move. He's never been a locker room cancer, right? He's just a guy who has struggled with substance abuse. So it's not like he's going to come in and ruin your chemistry and your culture. So it's either he's productive and can do it or he's not. And if he's not, you didn't spend much money on him. You're back to where you started and you're a seven and two team with guys like David Moore and Jerron Brown playing important snaps. So to me, it makes perfect sense. Um, I, I don't think he's going to be, um, you know, this all world guy, but I don't think anyone's expecting to be, but I, I would anticipate him being, um, productive and, uh, you know, a heavy part of the offense, if not right away, definitely down the road for the rest of the season. Are you going to let that Malik Turner slander stand, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> Malik Turner's done nothing but good things when he's been in the game this year. Uh, he's actually one of the best graded Seahawks uh, on offense, according to PFF. So it's okay. You know, it's okay. Uh, Joe's not perfect. Nobody is. But, um, you know, Nathan, I mean, you've got you've got DK Metcalf. He's a split end primarily, although he is now. They say he's playing all all three positions. You got Tyler Locke, who definitely can move across. He can he can run in a, a straight line from any spot on the field. <laughs> that works. So they say. Yeah. So the scouts okay. say. Um, you know, wh- where do you see uh, Josh Gordon fitting in? You know, how, how does that how does that affect uh, the offense? I I'm suspicious that. Pete is going to make this tough on Gordon. Um, 
not not that he'll be like especially hard on him or anything, but I really think that Gordon's going to have to earn um, every little bit that he gets. Uh, like like I was saying, like this is a team that was a very good offense without him, and so they they shouldn't be necessarily in any rush to incorporate him. I think that they're going to want him to come in and put in some work for a little while. Um, I'd love to be wrong. I'd love to see him out there, you know, for a handful of snaps this week and see that grow. Um, but I, I just suspect that they're they're just going to sit on him for a little bit. And and half of that could also just be because they seem to like to um, withhold uh, different looks and different, you know, they're, they're big on information, you know, saving, you know, keeping other teams from learning too much about them, running into the, you know, into the pile a bunch of times so they can learn about the other, the other teams. So I just wouldn't be at all surprised to see this take a few weeks for, for him to really do, do anything significant. Yeah. Yeah. We'll come back to you on, on, on the Josh Gordon. We'll talk about Ed Dixon a little bit later, Jeff, but before we, uh, we lose uh, Mr. Joe here, um, I want to talk to you about the 49ers and um, about what your expectations are. I mean, obviously you were with that team, um, you know, covering that team closely for a few years when they were not playing well and they were building up a lot of the talent around them. That's now, you know, born some fruit. What's your, what's your impression of that, that organization? Um, how do you look at this team? Um, you know, let's start there. And, and then I want to get into where you see their, where you see their weaknesses are because their strengths are pretty obvious. Yeah. I think for me, um, you know, I went into the season saying, you know, the Niners probably have the higher ceiling because um, I do think they're the more talented roster top to bottom in Seattle, but Seattle has the higher floor given Pete Carroll and Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson and kind of the culture of, of winning the sustained success they've had in Seattle. Um, but when you have so many top five picks and early first round picks at some point, if it all clicks, it has the opportunity to be really successful. And um, you have a quarterback who you don't really know what you have in him, but like, you know, the potential is really good. Um, you know, you have running backs there that's, that are, you know, potential to be really productive. Kyle Shanahan, obviously one of, if not the best offensive minds um, in the NFL. And so, you know, when you have a defensive line that you expect to be dominant and it's dominant, you expect your running game to be productive and it's productive. You expect Jimmy J to not lose you games. And then when you need him to, like he showed in Arizona, can win you again, make the big time throws on third down and in the red zone. He can do that. It's not a surprise right now. You know, you look at the teams they've played and um, the way that things have gone for those first eight teams. I think if you look at their schedule and say, yeah, I would expect, you know, I'm not surprised they're eight and no given who they've played. Um, you know, I think they still have a lot to prove. I think they're incredibly talented. Um, this is the first time that they're going to go up against a, an offense in the top 15 of DVOA, let alone the third ranked offense. And so um, this is the best they've seen all season. Uh, that said, I do think the Seahawks are fighting an uphill battle, but there's plenty of, of points of optimism you can take uh, you can take from that Arizona game, mainly the way Kenyon Drake ran all over him. And so, you know, expect a heavy dose of Chris Carson. you got to keep that defensive front off balance at least a little bit. They run that wide nine, so there's space in between the tackles to run. And uh, and teams have exploited that. They just, they've been too far behind to be able to run the ball consistently because of the defense forcing turnovers, the offense being able to consistently put up points and put you in a hole to where all of a sudden – the defenses, defensive lines pinning their ears back and getting after you every single play. So, um, like you said, the strengths are obvious, but if you can hang around and make it a football game and not, you know, the you know, pick six or a special teams touchdown will be absolute worst case scenario for the Seahawks on Monday night. I think we all know that, but this team is built to, once it has a lead, to sustain, if not extend that lead. 
Yeah. Do you, do you see, um, you know, knowing what you, you talked about the, the 49ers and the, the rush defense being something that hasn't been quite as good as, as uh, certainly the past defense, which has been the best in the league pass rush being a part of it. The coverage has been great. Sounds like they are not going to get in color with Witherspoon back this week. Um, the cornerback. So that, I think that's meaningful news. Uh, I think it's Emmanuel Mosley has been the, the corner that's been subbing for him. And he had a pretty bad week last week. Um, he's been good overall, but, but hasn't been, wasn't great. Um, on offense, you know, a lot of people talk about the 49ers defense. You start there, obviously people talk about Jimmy Garoppolo cause he's, you know, the quarterback and he's flashing the pearly whites. But um, if you had to pick one part of that offense that you feel like you, you need to focus on slowing down, you know, this is a debate we were having on, on Twitter last week. You know, do you, do you focus more on trying to slow the 49ers run game and make Jimmy Garoppolo beat you? Or do you say, you know, play him even and, and just, you know, have to, to play them both the same? Um, or maybe even worry more about Jimmy Garoppolo and, and not worry as much about the run game. I love that debate on Twitter. It's like just because you said Seahawks seemed to focus on the run, that obviously automatically meant you thought Jimmy Garoppolo was a terrible quarterback and couldn't do it and was awful and whatever, right? I mean, it's just funny how how those are taken on Twitter. So, you know, one thing means the exact opposite for the other. But I think you're right. I mean, and, you know, I, I do think you just can't let Tevin Coleman and Matt Breida run all over you, um, you know, and make Jimmy Garoppolo just have to manage the game. Um, but at the same time, like if you're going to stop the run, if you're not getting any pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo, he'll pick you apart. I mean, you showed, you know, he showed, you know, how talented he was against the Cardinals. So um, I think that is a concern. If you don't have a pass rush, um, it all becomes moot. So, um, but I agree with you, you know, Jimmy is, is prone. He's a gunslinger and he's a guy who's not shy about, you know, making some bad decisions and turning the ball over. And he's still so young in his NFL career from a quarterback standpoint, still learning the game. And, you know, when I looked at last year, it was like last year was supposed to be his kind of early, early career, Brett Favre, Peyton Manning, you're throwing a ton of interceptions. You're trying to figure out which chances are good, you know, which chances are bad, learn from those mistakes and then uh, make you a better, you know, quarterback moving forward. And he didn't have that. Right. So he's still going through some of those growing pains of like, you know, when can I test this and when can I, and, um, you know, but you got to get to him in order to force those bets. It's no different than Jameis, right? Because if you give Jameis a clean pocket, he's arguably one of the best passers in the league, right? I mean, he's got all the tools, but it's the second you speed things up and get in his face a little bit, um, that's when the bad decisions come. And, you know, Jimmy's not as egregious as Jameis, but he does turn the ball over from time to time. And um, to me, I mean, that's, that's the key. You absolutely have to win the turnover battle in this game, probably by more than one. So last question I got for you um, before we let you run, uh, uh, George Kittles uh, may not play um, in this game. And, and uh, I'm curious how much of an impact do you think that would have? Massive, like massive, massive. I mean, he's the go-to guy on offense and not only that, but he is such a mauler in the blocking, you know, from pass blocking to run blocking. There are clips every single week of him putting guys into the turf. You know, he takes pride in it. I'm of the belief that George Kittle is the best tight end in the NFL comprehensively, right? I mean, he might not be the best pass catching tight end. That might be Travis Kelsey. Um, he might not have the best hands. That might be Zach Ertz. But when you combine your run after the catch ability, your ability in the blocking game, um, his speed, his toughness, I mean, I, I think he's a special player. Um, so if even if he's not at 100%, that's big for the Seahawks. But if he doesn't play altogether, I think that's huge because then all of a sudden – you can spend so much more time focusing on slowing down Emmanuel Sanders, who has, you know, come in seamlessly in San Francisco and Kyle Shanahan 
you know, I know this, you know, he's, he's a long coveted Emmanuel Sanders. And the fact that he's come back so well from that Achilles tear, I think they jumped on it, you know, a chance to improve. And not only, you know, is he now a, a go-to guy, I mean, he's the guy at receiver now for them. So um, you take Kittle out of the mix. It makes your job a little bit easier in the secondary. Hey, Joe, I'm going to let you go on that front and uh, really appreciate you coming on tonight. Um, always happy to have you. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely see you for nachos, if nothing else. I love it. Uh, Brian, Jeff, uh, Nathan, I'll give uh, Evan a hard time on Twitter, but I appreciate you guys having me back. It's uh, always a lot of fun talking balls. So uh, thanks for having me. All right. Thanks. And everybody follow him uh, at Joe fan, Joe underscore fan, F-A-N-N on Twitter. Best beat uh, writer for the Seahawks right now. Absolutely. Thanks, dude. I appreciate it, man. It means a lot. So uh, thank you very much. I mean, I've been here three and a half months, but you guys have welcomed me in and it uh, means a ton. So I've been enjoying it and excited for Monday night and excited to talk about it on Twitter and otherwise uh, on the other side. There'll be a lot to talk about, dude. No doubt about it. Um, hey, so Nathan, I know you're a, you're a short timer as well here. Um, uh, talk to me about this game. Um, you know, where where's your head at on this 49ers game? What are you thinking about going into it? Thinking about Russell Wilson's MVP candidacy. Uh, it's a primetime game, I mean, against the best passing defense in the league. Uh, I would love to get a win. Um, I don't think that this is a necessarily a must win or anything for Seattle. So really, like, the win is secondary to me at this point. Like, I, I, I want to see, see Russ make his MVP – have his MVP signature game. Um, yeah, that's really it. Like, I, I this morning I was listening to the uh, the Around the NFL podcast, and they were talking about Russell as the clear front runner for MVP. And I just got completely sick to my stomach because, for whatever reason, like it got super real for me. And so now that's like all I can think about is him actually doing this. It'd be amazing. It's funny. So that's your big thing is is more about Russell's MVP potential than the Seahawks winning. In this one game, yeah. If you told me that I could have like a 300-yard game and three touchdowns and no picks, but they lose, all right, okay, seven and three, still way better than I had them. I'll take it. <laughs> all right. Uh, I know you got to run. Feel free to stick around a little bit longer if you want. But um, Jeff, let's let's um, let's quickly go back to you know Josh Gordon and next Ed Dixon, and then you and I can talk a little bit more about the Niners game. Um, you know, I'm at this point, I'm expecting Josh Gordon to play. And I, I think that that is a meaningful addition to this team. Um, and especially after you lost Will Disley, I think they've had one less guy in the, in the passing attack. What's a reasonable expectation? I mean, someone was talking about, I think, Malik Turner and, and uh, you know, David Moore and Jerron Brown and all their snaps were like, you know, there's like 50 plus snaps with those guys. Um, so it seems like there's some snaps to be had. Um, what do you think is reasonable to expect for Josh Gordon on, on Monday? Yeah, I don't know if Monday's – I think Nathan said this earlier. I don't think – I think this is going to be a tough game for him to ease into just because of the way he runs routes, how good the San Fran front is, and how hard it might be to get some, like, long developing plays. I think over time, I think the best – we've talked about this before. David, David Moore's deep passes this year, all of his targets, have been really inefficient compared to how Russell's been super efficient on pretty much everything else he's done. Last couple of weeks, there's been deep passes in the end zone and deep passes on jump balls. Those are just not working right now. David Moore's not separating. He's not winning. I think if you take Josh Gordon, put them in David Moore's deep routes, I think they have a much better chance of working. 
And if you look at Josh Gordon in New England, you can see why it didn't really work because New England's offense is a lot of option routes. is a lot of precise routes. It's timing. Gordon's more of like a get down the field freelance kind of player, exactly. which is actually a really, really good fit with Russ. And that's kind of how they've tried to use David Moore, at least last year. And then this year where he's kind of faded and you saw he's better. He's working those crossing routes, but I think that's how he fits in. And I think that's what Seattle was targeting. I found it interesting. I don't know if this was just Adam Schefter doing something for the agent or not, but, or the, I think it was Rapport. Someone was saying that Russell really pushed for the, them to either add him or Antonio Brown. I don't know what the story is there. I don't want to get into that, but it seems like Russell could see either it was more John Brown. They didn't have that third weapon. And the fact that it was coming from Russell, I don't know if that's just him liking Josh Gordon specifically or him thinking the receiving course, not good enough. So that was, that kind of jumped off the page to me. I don't know if I'm putting two things together that aren't true, but to me, that jumped off to me. Yeah. I, I, I think you're right on the, the Josh Gordon thing. I, I think that assuming they can get him on the field and playing, um, I think he's hand in glove with what Russell likes to do. I mean, when, when, when Josh Gordon, I always thought it was a bit of an odd fit in new England. Tom Brady is, people say he's a good deep ball thrower, but you know, that is, if you look at his air yards, that is not his best throw by far. He is a short passing game quarterback and, you know, somewhat in the intermediate, but you know, if you have a guy that can separate downfield that Russ can put in position to make plays, and now you've got DK on the other side. That's a, a tough cover. And you've got Tyler all over the place. That's a tough cover. I can't imagine that that's not going to be an improvement over Jerron Brown or an improvement over David Moore. I mean, it's just, you know, as much as I can like David Moore, you know, and some of what he's done, there's no comparison at all to Josh Gordon, even like a, a bootleg Josh Gordon, as he's kind of been um, been a, a little bit lately. So I do think that's going to be interesting to see. Um, and even if nothing else, I can't imagine the 49ers or any team, if he's on the field, not paying attention to him. Like, I don't think that they can afford to just assume that he's not going to be a factor. And that by itself is going to be, you know, uh, affect coverages. So that, that'll be interesting. And, and one of the things that people don't talk about with how great this 49ers pass defense is, their safety play has not been terrific. Jaquiski Tart is has not had a great year. Um, uh, you know, I, I think that there's some vulnerability there. And their linebackers, by the way, that's a weakness on this team. Um, they lost Quan Alexander. You know, he was there. There's a lot of 49ers fans that were arguing about whether Nick Bosa or Quan Alexander was a more important player for their defense, which I think is ridiculous. I think it's obviously Nick Bosa. The fact that that's even a conversation shows you that Quan Alexander was playing a pretty big role, especially in coverage. So that's one of the things where I'm kind of curious about, um, you know, I don't see Ed Dixon as the next coming at all, but I do kind of wonder, you know, Luke Wilson, Ed Dixon, uh, you know, Jacob Hollister, you know, is there an advantage for the Seahawks, even in maybe with the running backs um, lining up or getting some of these these passes uh, underneath or swing passes against this defense? Nathan, you're since you're still around, man, you're welcome to jump in if you if you uh, have anything you want to say there. I mean, I think going up against a good passing defense, I think the more ways that you can find to stretch them, the better off you're going to be. Um, I mean. Uh, you know, you're, you're talking about comparing Gordon to Brown and to Moore. Like, neither of them are good, but neither of them are bad players either, right? Like, um, they are capable. And so, I, 
I do think it's a little bit of a stretch to think that Gordon can show up practice for a week and just be meaningfully better than, than those guys. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, find different ways to get these guys on the field. You know, you've got different weapons. Uh, it, it's, it, you, you, uh, they're not, I don't know that the Seahawks are a loaded offense necessarily. I think that they have a, uh, you know, an MVP caliber quarterback, uh, a really, really good wide receiver in Tyler Lockett, and then a bunch of other guys that can do stuff. And, and DK may be coming, you know, a legit weapon too. But uh, so adding Gordon to that, finding different ways to attack this defense, I think all that's going to be really important. Um, I hope that they, they do that and they don't, um, just run a bunch and get spooked by this this Niners pass defense. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's an interesting balance. I mean, we, uh, for this, the three of us to talk about, especially right. Like last week, I was a hundred percent on you. Better throw the ball. Like, don't come out and run the ball. Um, and I think you know, Nathan, you'd say every week, don't come out and run the ball, pass the ball. Like, right, right. And this week, I do look at the 49ers and I say, man, their pass rush, I, it's hard for me. If, if the over-under for sacks for the 49ers against the Seahawks on Monday, let's put it at four and a half. Are either of you guys on the under? Uh, now you no. got to make me go, go look at the numbers. No, don't. Just gut. Just gut. I mean, I got, yeah, I mean, I don't think the under there is crazy. I More sacks know. is still a lot of sacks, right? Like, I know, but I think that I, I think uh, he has not been sacked more than four times this year. Yeah, and they they have not played this front four. I, I just, I and it's really a front six. Um, I think it's, I think it's that good. Um, so, I think that's to me that's a challenge. I think that you're going to have their corners are going to roll up on the Seahawks receivers to really try to take away quick passes, which is part of the reason the Seahawks have been able to avoid some sacks. But um, you know, I think what that's going to mean is you're going to have to blow them off the ball a little bit. I do think you're going to have to to run the ball a little bit in this game um, to to at least have some balance. And uh, boy, if if I like my chances. It- if if uh, any team, I don't care who you are, if you think that you're going to try to come up and take away short passes against a team with DK, Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett, and yeah, maybe even Josh Gordon out there, like, oh, okay, I'll I'll take that chance. I, I don't need to – I'll see what I can do over the top. I mean, that's all I really want them to do. Like, I, I get that, you know, it, it makes sense to run more than they did last week. Like, there's no denying that, right? That's obvious. Um but what I, I'm scared that they're going to do, and I will be – I think that Shadi has done a, a good job this year. I think he's getting a little overrated just because of how poorly they did last year in the, the run-pass balance. Um, they're not atrocious anymore, and that's good. Um, but I think this is a game where they can really if, – if he really is kind of trending a different way, I think he can really show it in this game. Um by like i said just not getting spooked like be smart run where it makes sense but like again you have an mvp quarterback especially if a defense is going to come up and be like oh we're going to take away short stuff and you have tyler lockett like cool i i have tyler lockett i want to i want to test that right yeah it's yeah, I, I mean, I, that'll be the part. I will be very encouraged, Jeff, if the Seahawks come out and when they start having some success in the passing game. I mean, that would be incredibly encouraging. And 
it's not that unrealistic. I mean, let's be honest. The the Cardinals had a decent amount of success against this defense. Um, and look, the, 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 the 49ers have not played a team close to the Seahawks in terms of offensive efficiency. Um, and the Seahawks, people are like, oh, who have the Seahawks played defensively? Seahawks have played some actually pretty decent defenses, top five defenses. Um, you know, uh, I think at least three of their games have been against top five defenses. So um, the 49ers have yet to face a single offense in the top 10, top 15. So, you know, the Seahawks are the third. So what what are you hoping to see the game plan is? Um, and, and when you kind of look at this team, you look at the Seahawks offense, you've watched them all year. You know how good the 49ers defense is. Close your eyes. Do you picture the Seahawks offense succeeding? And if so, how how do you how does what does that look? What does that look like? It's it's a tricky one. I just think the 49ers just have the edge. If you're gonna drop back 35 times and run 15 times, I think that was close to their numbers in last week. I think the game script just has to be close, or else if the Niners get up 14-0, I think it really plays into their game. I don't know if I want to go as like run heavy as they maybe went in some of those Rams games last year where it was like 35 runs, 20 passes. I think I'd like to see Russell throw the ball more than 20 times. He is the best player in the team. But yeah, I don't think you can play a quay like last week. I think it's closer to maybe like a 60, 40 pass run thing. Maybe somewhere in there where you got it. I think you do have to keep them off balance. And I don't think the numbers will ever show that, but if they're a team that rushes and just keeps going up the field, just, wearing them down physically, and then oh, that opens up the play-action game. That opens up lots of stuff. I know people don't like that and it can't be shown in the numbers, but I think you got to trick this defensive line a little bit and you got to keep them off balance. And just running at them with Fluker and with Yupati, I think that might make a difference. It might turn out to be meaningless if the defense plays as bad as we think it will. But, yeah, Joe hit the big point here. The wide nine gives you a lot of running lanes. So Sally came from Pete Carroll. They used to run – the same defense, the cover three, single high stuff. And they brought in a new defensive line coach this year. They got Bosa, they got D Ford. So they've gone wide nine. That has opened up a lot of running lanes. That's changed a lot of how you play. Kenyon Drake came off a trade and just lit them up last week. So yeah, I see why you want Carson having the ball. Who, um, who do you think the best matchup is in the past game for the Seahawks? From Seattle perspective? Yeah. I think you got to go DK against whoever their second corner is. Um, obviously, I think Lockett is the kind of player that Sherman struggled with. When you look at Sherman's history, as great as he played in Seattle, and I'm not a bitter Seahawks fan with Sherman. I'm a big Sherman guy. I miss him a lot, and I think that's one of the biggest mistakes the team has made, to be honest. And But I think the kind of guy that gave Sherman trouble, if you look at like T.Y. Hilton the Super Bowl year, and is the speedy small guy that can get over the top. Sherman was better with the big physical, like the Anquan Bolden types, where he can push them around, slow them down. The locket is what gave him trouble. But I think DK on, if it's Emmanuel Mosley, I think that's a pretty good – I think that's a mismatch. And I think that's an area Seattle can really, if they hold up in pass protection, can really take advantage of. And I think you saw it last week. Andy Isabella hit like an 80-yard touchdown on kind of a play-action deep bomb. I don't know if they, whose side that was on. I think Sherman was mad about something. But I think there are shots here. If you can hold up and pass for you can hit deep bombs. And really, on a side note, I don't think we're talking enough about how good Tyler Lockett's playing. Like, I was going through the list of, like, the top-end guys. I think there's only, like, three or four receivers in the whole league that you can 
easily say are playing better than Lockett right now. And that's crazy. It is. I mean, if there was an MVP of receivers, <laughs> just as a specific position, he'd be in the conversation. I mean, he, he has been, I mean, I think they're, they're completing 80% of the passes, his direction or something crazy like that. You know, he's, he's been fantastic. Um, and he's done it in so many different ways. I think, I think the conversation has to be started at least about whether he is on the trajectory to be more valuable than, than Doug Baldwin was. And Doug Baldwin was one of the best receivers in this franchise history. I didn't really think that was going to be a conversation we'd be having this year, but Tyler Lockett is, has affected the game in, in more ways than Doug Baldwin did. Um, and I think, you know, it's not an apple to apple comparison because Doug Baldwin played in a different offense uh, with a different version of Russell Wilson and, I think Russell's playing the best he's ever played and the team's passing more than they've passed um, in, in past years. So, but it, all that aside, I mean, Tyler Lockett's been amazing. Um, so, you know, what do you, what do you expect to be a reasonable amount of points to the, I mean, what would be a good number for the Seahawks offense to put up against the 49ers in San Francisco or in Santa Clara on Monday night against this defense? What's reasonable or what would be good? So what what do you what do you think is a reasonable number to expect them to score, and what's the number you think they need to score to win? I think anything above twenty four points would be pretty good. Just how good this defense been? I think the Quan Alexander thing you hit on is huge. They don't really have a backup there. If you read the Niners beat writers, I know you've pointed this out. They're pretty worried about how that will affect them. He was playing. He was arguably their best defensive player outside of Bosa. So not having him, it's interesting. They're getting, they're a little more getting banged up and Seattle's getting healthier. I found that really interesting, but just to answer the question, I think 24, anything above that is really good. Just based on how good this defense is and how scary that front is. Um, I think they're going to need 30 plus points to win. Kyle Shanahan against this defense scares me. Kyle Shanahan, the best of times for Seattle the way he calls plays, and we actually had a debate on our group chat earlier this year about who was better between Shanahan and McVay. This is when like, the Niners were like 2-0. and um, I think Kyle Shanahan for years is the best play caller in the NFL. And what he's so good at is he is able to find holes and schemes no matter who the talent is, no matter who's there. I, like Just before the height of Seattle's powers on defense, the Redskins came in here in 2011 with Rex Grossman at quarterback. And they were just finding holes in this deep. They, they upset Seattle in Seattle on a time that like Seattle's defense was rolling. And that was with Shanahan calling plays. And since then you saw what he did with Atlanta against the Seahawks 2016 in the playoffs, they just were just burning this defense, finding wide open what they're going to do against the worst version of the Seahawks defense. That just scares me. So I think you're going to have to score 30 points to win. Even if Kittle's out, I don't like what Shanahan can do with these guys schematically, whether that's, He's so good at using play action. He's so good at finding holes in the scheme, even with Nick Mullins last year. So I don't well, know. You're going to need 30. You no, know, it's interesting, Jeff. I, I kind of, I, I mean, I ask myself all sorts of questions about this game. I'm, I'm so excited about this game. And, and honestly, I'm glad to feel that way because a couple of weeks ago, honestly, I was dreading this game, really dreading it. And I just felt like the, the Seahawks were just going to get run through. And they still might. I mean, I think the 49ers are capable of it, and the Seahawks' defense is bad enough that that's possible. Like, all that's totally possible. But, you know, I start thinking about it, and I'm like, well, what do I feel 
what I feel is more likely to happen um, that the Seahawks defense finds a way to slow down that 49ers running game or that the 49ers defense shuts down the Seahawks offense. And, you know, it's a tough question to answer. I think that to me is one of the key questions in the game. If the Seahawks defense can slow down the 49ers running game, I'm not talking about stopping it, but slow it down to the level that the Cardinals did last week. And I'll continue to say the Seahawks have the players they need to be a good run defense. This isn't about the pass rush where I don't think they have the players to have a good pass rush. But if they can just slow down that run game, I I think that this the Seahawks win this game. I really do. Um, I think that the Seahawks offense, you know, I, I think there's a lot of reason to believe that they can they can put up some points against this team. And if you know if you got a Cardinals team that scored 25, I don't think it's unrealistic to expect the Seahawks to score in the mid 20s or even to push up into the 30s. Um, you know, and and I think. I can easily imagine looking back at this next week and being like, what was I thinking? <laughs> but, uh, but there's reason to be confident in this offense. And I, I do think getting Ed Dixon back is a good thing. I think it'd be interesting to see who gets cut on the roster. Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, it could be Shaquem Griffin. It could be another receiver, you know, maybe it's Jerron Brown, maybe it's David Moore, maybe it's Malik Turner. Um, I don't know where else they're going to have, they have many much room to cut from. Yeah. Well, Brett, you can't like cut Brandon Jackson. They're playing like 35 snaps a game. CJ Procise. Yeah. They called, they really hyped up Travis Homer this week. Well, and he's, that probably is a bad sign for CJ Procise. Who's been inactive the past two games. Doesn't play special team. That could be the guy. It could be the end of the line for CJ Procise, but in any event, I mean, I think um, I think you got Quentin Jefferson, who's supposedly coming back. I think that's a big deal. It's the first time we're going to see, assuming that the guys play, it's the first time that Jaron Reed and Quentin Jefferson are going to play in the same week, I believe. Since Yeah. And, and the thing is, Al Woods played 40 snaps last week and a team that doesn't really run the ball. So without Jefferson, they were really hamstrung from that position. I talked about this a bunch lately. They're just, they don't have great personnel on the D line. We know the, fr- the names look good in the big four, but when those, you take one guy out of the front four, the guys they're replacing with just are not NFL players. And the fact that Al Woods is playing 40 snaps on a team that doesn't run, that's just, it's just a waste of personnel. So this game is the kind of guy, if you use Jefferson a little more, you have Reed back, you can use Woods a little better, you can be more efficient with Puna. That helps, and that's an area where you're going to need. You have four players or three players who can stop the run. That's important. Playing Al Woods 40 snaps, and how many of them was he rushing the passer? He can't be as effective stopping the run when he's doing that. Yeah. Hey, so let's close by by taking some uh, patron questions. Um, yeah, that's a great idea. You. We got a question here. So folks that haven't already, we'd love it if you join over at patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Always looking to add more sponsors. Um, you know, we've got Burger Master, best burgers in the Northwest. You've got, uh, you know, excuse me, you got Blake over at manifestfit.com. Great personal trainer available to folks. Does it online, does it all over the, the, the globe, really, all over the country at least. 
And then you've got um, John Hurlbut, a uh, longtime friend of the show supporting us and, and uh, great, great support for real estate down in Pierce King and Snohomish County. So um, please join over there, patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Subscribe on the channel if you haven't already. As folks know, we, we uh, donate uh, at least $10,000 to charity every year. We've donated over $120,000 to Ben's Fund since we started. Um, pretty much all the proceeds go to charity from the show. And um, it's just great to have people join the community. And uh, the Seahawks are, are giving us something to talk about. So it's, it's, it's been fun. Um, and one of the benefits of uh, being a patron is we'll, we'll try to answer your questions each week. And Michael Hendrickson asks, um, he has a question about the pass rush. Javian Clowney frequently seems to get penetration, but he rarely pressures the quarterback. Why do, what do you think is wrong? Um, do we have so many new people on the D line that we're still learning to work with one another? And do we have not have effective pass rushing schemes? So what's your answer to, to that, Jeff? Um, early in the year, I thought that it was just an adjustment period that everyone kind of needed to figure each other out. Jaron Reed wasn't playing the front four we talked about hasn't played together. The more I've dug into it, I think it's just really easy to defend the Seahawks D line right now because the Seahawks don't have a second or third pass rusher. Ansa, we'll, I can talk about him in another episode, but he just looks like a guy who doesn't trust his body. And now Pete talks about it. he does look small. So if you're playing against the Seahawks, you put two guys on Clowney. There's not a lot of guys just break, who can get double team like that, and they don't have that other guy. So it's really easy to defend them. So you're just putting all your energy into stopping Clowney, and you don't need to worry about anyone else. So it's a pretty easy thing to shut down from just a schematic standpoint. Yeah, I think Clowney's getting doubled a lot and still getting pressure. So I don't, I don't really fault him so much for not, you know, finishing the plays. Um, I haven't seen him like miss quarterbacks a lot. I just think that he's, he's not able to get home in time. And it's also not just the the defensive line. To be honest, the coverage has been bad enough that quarterbacks are able to get rid of the ball pretty quickly and find open receivers. So you know, you don't have you know, cover players that are making it hard on the quarterback. The quarterback's rarely patting the ball, looking around. And, um, you know, when they when they do need to take a few extra seconds, the pass rush just isn't that good. So it's been a little bit, a little bit challenging for sure, um, a lot challenging. And I just don't know that I feel like uh, I'm counting on it getting good. Can it get better? Sure. I, I'm just – now my energy is not at all in focusing on how the Seahawks get the, to be a better pass rush. I, I just, I don't see it happening this year. Um, I much more want to see them start focusing on coverage, improving coverage if possible, um, improving the run defense, improving tackling. I think those are the ways for the Seahawks defense to improve this year. Those are things they can control. Don't involve them requiring a lot of new talent. Um, you know, it's really just about being assignment sound. So uh, you know, that's where I think the Seahawks can get better. And then presumably if you start getting teams in, in longer situations, um, longer yardage situations, then the pass rush has a better chance to maybe get off the ball. Um, Grant Resnick's the next question. Thanks, Grant, for being a, a supporter. Should we be worried about how Jaron Reed has been playing? <laughs> Grant also wants to know, can we expect the pass rush to get better? So we covered that one. But, but what about Jaron Reed? Um, how are you feeling about that, Jeff? Um. He's a tricky one because last year he really benefited from Frank Clark and the way he was just drawing other opposing defenses. He, he was really penetrating well, playing with Clark. They really counter complemented each other well. And not playing six games is a big deal. It takes guys time 
he started to come around last game for the first time. You saw some run stuff where he just finally showed that explosion again. So I think this next couple stretches where we might see a jump from him. From, from the Seahawks' perspective, if he doesn't play that well this year, it's not the worst thing because if they want to get him back, they're probably going to have to pay a lot less than they would have last year. But to answer your question, I think I will start to see a jump in the coming weeks with him. You saw it last week. You saw a noticeable jump. I think it's going to come in the pass rush in the next coming weeks. Yeah, I hope. I hope, dude. Um, uh, I don't know how much it'll help. Here is is Katie Bourne. Uh, do you think we'll ever see anything much from LJ Collier, or has the ship sailed? You want me to answer this one? Uh, I'll start on this one. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm not expecting anything from LJ Collier. Pete came out today and doubled down again, saying, "Hey." I'm expecting LJ Collier is going to contribute before the year's out. You know, I just, I don't see it. I haven't seen anything that really has jumped out. And, uh, you know, I'm just not expecting much uh, the rest of the year. Yeah, we, we really talked about a redshirt year a lot when he was out with that high ankle sprain or the ankle injury in camp. Pass rushers develop pretty slow in the NFL unless you're a Bosa or one of these freak athletes. And he just looks like a guy who athletically and maybe in his – in terms of like picking up the plays, he just looks lost. He's falling. He's he's getting six snaps on a team that can't rush the pass or three snaps sometimes. He can't even beat Brandon Jackson or any of these guys on the field. So I think to expect him to all of a sudden just jump up in the next couple of weeks, no, I don't see it. I think you're looking at him starting next year as a guy you can really start tracking his progress. Donna Burton asked us about how we see the Seahawks using Josh Gordon. I think we already answered that. Uh, Christine Hansen, uh, but thank you, Donna, for being a patron. And Christine Hansen asked, what do you guys see as necessary to fix the defense? So I think we kind of covered that as well. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you feel anything differently than I do, but I definitely, uh, for me, it's start with the run game. Be a good run defense. That's where I would start. I think that's the easiest thing to fix of all of the, the problems. Okay, two quick ones. Put Bobby in a better position to succeed. He's one of their best players. I think they've taken away his strengths schematically this year. Number two, if they're going to not switch the nickel corner, I want to see Ugo Amani on the field. Uh, he's at least a speedy guy who can make plays. They're too slow in the nickel spot. Ugo shows some pretty good instincts. If they're going to just keep rolling out Jamar Taylor, give those snaps to Ugo if you're not giving it to Diggs. Yeah, I am. I am definitely really concerned, Jeff, about how how things are going to fare this weekend or this uh, Monday night in terms of uh, safety play. And I'm really excited to see Quandre Diggs, but um, you know, I really, I really hope that Marquise Blair is going to get uh, you know continued reps, and uh, we'll see how that goes. And uh, yeah, we just got to see what's going to go on with with uh, that nickel corner because that has emerged as a real issue um, for this defense um, over the course of the year. So, uh, all right, where are you prediction wise on this game, Jeff? Gut feeling, I say it's a loss. I think the game is closer than I would have guessed maybe a week or two ago. I thought that the Niners were just going to run the doors off these guys when I was just watching Seattle play defense and just beating my head against the wall. I guess Russell's play, and I mentioned like the Kawhi comparison earlier. I think he's so good he'll make this into a game. But I think the Niners are just a complete team. Seattle's a one-sided team, and essentially their defense is really bad. Their offense is really good. So I think the better team wins the game. But I think it's going to be close. I think it'll be a really fun game and probably the biggest Niners game since maybe that Thanksgiving game with the Seahawks a couple of years back. So this is going to be really fun. But if I had to pick, I'd say a loss. 
Yeah, I think uh, very reasonable. I mean, before the season, I had picked the Seahawks to be eight and one at this point in the year, and um, uh, I had picked them to lose this game um, against San Francisco. Um, you know, I mean, there's every reason to believe the Seahawks lose this game from a you know probability standpoint. I can't do it though. I uh, at this point, I, I think the Seahawks are going to find a way to win this game. I've got really? Seahawks, yeah, I've got the Seahawks winning this game, twenty-seven to twenty. And uh, <laughs> wow, I will awesome. go. I'll revisit this later. But what I'm kind of seeing happen now would be the classic Seahawks thing: is that they win this game, they get in position to potentially take the division, and then they lose the game to the 49ers in Seattle late this year um, to cost them the division. I could totally. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that does seem right. Doing that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to this game. I shouldn't be for a lot of reasons, but I'm looking forward to it, Jeff. I think it's, I think it's going to be, we're going to know a lot about both these teams after this game. I think it's going to be a huge battle. Both teams are, are getting pretty healthy coming into it. Um, you know, I think they're going to be both keyed up for it. So I think this would be great. This is what you, you hope for in a season that you get games like this to play for. Yeah. I think even if you're one of those people that thinks they have no chance, I think people are overestimating Seattle's schedule coming up after this. I think the Vikings and the Eagles sort of just stray away for a second. I think that really plays into Seattle's strengths of those teams. So I think if you're one of these guys that thinks they have no chance this week and they, they might fall out of the playoff race, I don't know if that's the case. I think Seattle's in pretty good position, even if they lose this game. But yeah, if they can come out and win this game, like you're saying, that completely we're we're all excited right now that they somehow are seven and two. That completely opens another door for if they can go out and beat the Niners, they're in my opinion, you have to think of them as a Super Bowl team. As yeah. odd, as flawed as they are, you you have to. If they go in and beat the best team by almost every measure on the road, how can you not how can you argue that? Absolutely. Well, on that note, um, we're going to say goodnight. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, this is Brian Emhauser at Hawk Blogger. We had uh, Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. We had Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11. And we had Joe Fan at Joe underscore F-A-N-N uh, from NBC Sports Northwest. So uh, great show tonight. We ha- appreciate all you tuning in. I think we had a record audience, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of 49ers fans trying to jump in here, which is always fun. Uh, and it's going to be even more enjoyable after the game, but uh, please, if you haven't already, um, you know, subscribe to the channel, uh, leave comment, leave a review. Uh, all appreciated. Um, sign up over at patreon.com slash hog blogger, hog blogger. We'd appreciate it. So take care everybody and uh, go Hawks.